do. Um, I suppose, yeah, it's a, a privilege and, a, and an honour to, to speak to you guys this morning and to be asked to speak to you guys. Um, I think for anyone in the room that knows me quite well knows, would agree with me in saying that my personality, I can actually be quite shy and reserved and I'm usually sitting in the background there just, I suppose, blending in and going about my business pretty unnoticed. Um, so it's completely out of character for me to agree to do something like this. Um, but I'm starting to understand and believe that it's, it's in those yeses that God honours and, and it's in those yeses that, that God shows up. Um, but I am a little nervous this morning, so I do ask that you bear with me. Um, I'm going to start off by reading from Hebrews um, 4, chapter 10, and it says this. It says, For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. My initial reaction when I read that was, how do we actually find rest for our souls when we're living in a world that's constantly fighting for our attention? You know, as, as Christians, it's really important to understand that we, we have an enemy, and the ultimate aim of our enemy is to destroy every human being. You know, he loves to use the tool of distraction and to turn our eyes away from Jesus and onto the things of the world. You know, Jesus himself said that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And the devil wants to, he wants us to follow a path that leads to destruction and to that end, he tries to prevent anyone coming to faith in Jesus. And Paul tells us that the God of this age, which is the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You know, so long as we are going along Satan's path and our eyes are blinded, we'll probably almost be totally unaware of these tactics. But once we start walking along the path that leads to, to life and our eyes are open to the truth, you know, we become very aware that we're under attack. And I think that one of the initial lines of attack is quite often an assault on our minds. It's quite often an assault on our attention and, and on our identity and on who we are. I don't know about you, but I am so easily distracted with my phone. So easily distracted. I could be in the middle of doing something and once my phone goes off, my immediate response is to, um, is to pick up the phone and, and check what it is. Because over time, I've trained my brain to do that. Um, but as soon as I check my phone, I've lost my rhythm in what I was doing, particularly if I'm in work, stuff like that. And my train of thought is always really hard to recover. And because of that, the next thing I know, I'm, I just continue to scroll on my phone. I go onto Instagram, I go onto Facebook, Pinterest. I check my emails. I check the news. I even check the weather. It's, you know, and then a couple of hours have passed, and it's been a complete waste of my time. I'm stressed out now because I'm behind on what I was doing, particularly again, like if, it, if it's work. And the funny thing is, is that Google actually know an awful lot about me. They know my buying habits. They know my likes. They know my dislikes. So they're able to perfectly tailor all sorts of advertisements to catch my attention and actually keep me on, online a lot longer than I had actually initially anticipated. And I always find this really funny. Did you ever get a, a notification from, from social media to say that some such a person has tagged you in a photo? They're the worst kind for me. I hate those kind of notifications. <laughs> the, fear, the fear immediately kicks in. I'm curious. I need to know what that is. And 
I can't not check it. So there I am, I'm back on my phone again. But the thing is, is it's notification after notification after notification from all the different accounts and apps that we're registered on. And this is their daily, this is the stuff that's coming at us at all times on top of the demands of life. Yeah, our attention is constantly being taken hostage. And it's actually been proven that that social media use is correlated to increased depression and anxiety. So I often kind of wonder why we need further evidence to convince ourselves to limit our use of it. You know, there's this unrelenting assault on our attention. And you, know, you hear the word mental health all the time, and it's, it's everywhere these days. And it, it seems to be rising, particularly in, in young people. And I was having a conversation with my brother about this not so long ago. He told me that, hope I'm going to get this right now, he said that secondary school pupils have the same level of anxiety than a patient on a psychiatric ward in the 1950s. Mm. Isn't that that's crazy to me? Mm. And the thing is, everybody is, everyone I talk to, they're saying that they're busier than ever. We've been sucked into like a pace of life that no one's actually enjoying. I find myself sometimes even flinching if I get a, a, a text from a friend asking for my time. I found that I had very little capacity for the things that actually brought me life. And when I did get a moment, I was so distracted that I actually couldn't enjoy it. And I realised there that my soul just couldn't do life at that kind of the pace, you know, at, at the pace of a, of a smartphone. And I'd come home in this state of exhaustion that you know, we're losing our ability to focus, we're losing our ability to pay attention to, to what's in front of us. We're, we're just, we don't have the ability to stay focused for more than a few minutes. I was down the, I was down the beach last uh, Sunday evening, I was going for a walk with, with Trevor and Zion, and um, I noticed these two little girls, they were on the beach and they were just like playing in the sand. Um, I presume they were sisters, no more than three and four. And it was just lovely watching them interact with one another, playing with one another, just so much joy, not a, a care in the world. But there was this such lovely moment between the two of them, and I just found myself smiling, and I went to look at their parents just to see their reaction. But the two of them were so glued to their phone that they actually missed it all. And I just thought that was really sad. But then that made me think about all those moments that I've missed with my kids and with my family, because. I'm so distracted looking at my phone to see what everyone else is doing that I'm actually not being present in the moment. But not only that, how many of those precious moments have we missed from God for that exact same reason? You know, we're always distracted. Our mind is always on these less important things. And I don't think the harm here is simply not just the numbing effects of technology. Like, we, can, we consume something like, where is it, 10 hours of media a day. 100,000 words and 34 gigabytes, which will actually crash a laptop in a week. We're not equipped, we're not designed to take in and take on that much information on a daily basis. So there's this noticeable deterioration on our attention. And another study found that even intellectuals, like PhDs in their field, these are people that move in the world of books and research and literature, that they don't have, they struggle to read large amounts of information at a time now because they don't have the patience for it anymore. Because the thing is, the internet's actually, it's reshaping not only our ability to take in the information, but it's also uh, altering the structures of, of our brain. Um, and I don't think that we actually really realise how much our use of technology and its assault on our, on our attention 
is making it very difficult for us to enter into God's rest. You can't give God your attention when your attention is constantly being targeted and constantly being taken captive. Because we're living in a world that requires us to go at such a speed that we end up with only having like one emotional state towards everything, which is usually a general haggard, hazy um, condition of always being switched on. You know, and what I actually find myself being more aware of is how often we need to put our souls aside in order to carry on with the demands of life. That's, that's not okay to do that. And I think that thanks to the life of social media, that everyone's life now is an open book, everyone's life is very accessible, that it's actually very invasive. There is no boundaries, we've no privacy in our homes, we've no privacy in our relationships. And we've created an assumption that that we're only that we're entitled to enter into anyone else's private space at any time, and that's actually very harmful. You know, mobile phones in particular have had a huge factor in the in the loss of personal space. I know from anyone that I've been talking to that work particularly in a corporate environment, uh, you know, and obviously since COVID and working from home, that their companies are actually expecting them to be available on their mobiles 24/7. Like there's literally no let up, there's no time to switch off. I hope I'm not showing my age here when I say this, but um, I actually remember a time when I was a teenager. I, my best friend, she only lived around the corner from me, and if I wanted to hang out with her, if I wanted to make plans with her, if I wanted to converse with her, I actually literally had to get up off my sofa, go out the front door, and call around her, which is very unusual these days. But there was always an appropriate time to do that. Like, you were never allowed to call her around her around meal times and stuff like that. Her, her dad just wouldn't allow her. There were the boundaries that he set. But that's all completely gone now. Because people have this assumption that they can enter your world at any time, that's actually suffocating to the soul. And there's this, there's this unspoken set of expectations in our heart that unless your life is like a movie, it's stupid, it's boring, it's not true. You know, there's this increase in anxiety and depression, an increase in envy, depending on your consumption of, of social media. And What's creeping in is the message that if your life is going to measure up and be wonderful, it has to be fantastic at all times. We need more of God in our bodies. We need more of God in our souls, in our relationships. We need more of God in our work. We need more of God. But when we live in a culture that it's this constant upgrade of everything, it gives the impression that if you're going to have a deeper, richer, amazing experience of God, it's going to have to come in some sensational way. And that's not even close to the truth. Life is built on the daily. It's so important that we don't despise the day's small beginnings. I think that being faithful in the small things and having integrity in the secret place, that's where things start to move. That's where rest starts to take place. That's where you know, doors start to open. You become very dangerous to the enemy when you're fully awake to God. I'm going to say that again. You become very dangerous to the enemy when you are fully awake to God. You know, I was I was very blessed to be raised in a Christian home, thank God. But, you know, when I grew up and I was starting to try and figure things out in my own head and in my own heart, I wasn't sure about God. I was at an age where I had to start choosing and making decisions about what I wanted in life. And I did stop going to church for a while. And it's not that I stopped believing in God. I just started believing in a lot. And the danger about that is, is your heart becomes hardened 
And what I did is I started to place my value and my and my worth outside of the things of God and in the world. But I soon learned that the world offers an awful lot but delivers very little. You know, and I made a decision, I made a choice to come back to, uh, to come back to church and I made that choice to follow God. And I tell you, I haven't looked back since. And you know, for me, I was one of those people, I was waiting for that bolt of light and experience, this huge epiphany. And I became very self-conscious. I was very entangled in my own personal experience that I was waiting on some feeling to wash over me. But it was within that act of my will, it was within that decision, within that choice, that those experiences started to come. And I started to believe, and I do believe, that God has good things for my life. You know, the world, the world within you becomes the world around you, and in order to change the environment around you, it requires having a healthy soul. So, I suppose my question would be, who or what is influencing you? You know, whether you like it or not, you're being influenced in some way, shape, or form. So, what are you like? Who are you following on social media? Who are you allowing to follow you on social media? You, what are you looking at online? What are you watching? What are you listening to? What are you reading? If you don't choose to be discipled and influenced by the Word of God, then you will be influenced by the world. You will be influenced by culture. And we have to be very careful about what we are allowing in, about protecting the influence on our hearts and and on our souls. Finding more of God, growing strong in soul and spirit, requires creating space in your day for God. Reading your Bible, worshiping, prayer, these are all essential. But intentionally putting yourself in a place that allows you to allows you to draw upon and experience that healing power of God in your life. And I think that if you if you create a little bit of sacred space every day, God will meet you there and you will you will begin to love it. I think it's so important just to look at your daily habits and you know and ask yourself, are you building the future life you want or are you just trying to escape the one that you currently have? It's so important that we choose. Why is he? And see, the thing is, once the enemy has has a hold of your attention, you're actually opening the door for sin to take place. And and what happens there is, it might start off as a foothold, but it becomes a stronghold. It's so important that we stay alert and be on guard. You know, because we're living in we're living in a world that. You know, tells us, uh, you know, be selfish, uh, don't be accountable to anybody, uh, do whatever makes you feel happy, don't be worried about the consequences down, down the road, or this, you know, just be free. And, but the thing is, in today's culture, freedom is the ability to do whatever you like, but in God's kingdom, freedom is the power to do God's will. And I think there's a big difference there. And the irony of it is the ability to do what you like if pursued to its end will actually inevitably lead to bondage where you won't be able to do what you like. And I think that if you even ask anybody who has ever struggled with addiction, you know, the person that, that injects heroin into their body for their very first time doesn't intend to end up being a heroin addict. Their freedom to do what they like resulted in bondage and now they've lost the power over the thing that's holding them there. But we serve a God that's all powerful. We serve a God that's all sufficient. And, you know, we do have an enemy. He wants to destroy us. And he, that's where he wants to lead us to. He never shows us at the, at the beginning where the end is going to take us. He, like, every time we embark on, on a course of sin, we don't realise that the aim is to lead us on that path 
to destruction. It's so important that we choose wisely. It's so important that we choose wisely what we do with our time. And it's kind of ironic, isn't it? I think that I think that a sin came with with revelation. I think that a sin came with with full exposure of all its consequences. That it actually would be very unattractive. But the nature of sin is deceit. It's deceitful. It's deceitful in in the way that it comes to us. It's deceitful in what it promises us. It's deceitful in what it calls itself. And it's deceitful in the excuses it makes, both before and after. And I, I think the thing is, if we're honest, sometimes we prefer the distraction. You know, the more distracted we are, I suppose, the less present we are to our, our souls, various hurts and needs and disappointments and boredom and fear. But it's just a short-term relief with long-term consequences. I think it's very important that the choice you make that will pave your path in life. God will, well, he won't force you to do anything. He has given you a free will to walk with him or walk away from him. It's so crucial that we make better decisions because their decisions will set the course of our lives and our children's lives and their children's lives. I know for me that I would be standing here living a very different life had my mother not made a decision to follow God all those years ago. You know, I think it's significant that when Paul wrote his letter, his final letter to Timothy, that he didn't report on how many he'd won to Christ or how many churches he'd planted. He didn't report on the evangelistic campaigns he'd conducted. He simply said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I've kept the faith. He fought and he finished and he endured. I think it's really important not to lose faith in in those precious promises of God. He has promised that his grace is sufficient in every circumstance of life. That no matter what giants we may encounter, that we have his assurance of a victorious life with spiritual blessings and rest for our souls. You know, I think that Israel's great great failure to persevere in in faith after crossing much of the wilderness trusting in God and after seeing so many reasons to trust in them, they actually ended up falling short because they didn't persevere in faith in God and his promise. And, you know, Jesus reminded us in the parable of the soils with the seeds cast on stony ground and among the thorns that it's not enough to make a good beginning. Real belief and real faith perseveres to the end. It's wonderful. It's so good. It's so good to make a good start. But it's how we finish is more important. And it's the decisions that we make will determine how we finish. It's so important that we finish well. Don't be wasting your time on the things that are going to distract you and take you away from the life that God has planned for you. Don't be one of those people that are just wandering around in the wilderness. You know, for me, I don't want to stand before God face to face and for him to show me the life that I could have lived if I had trusted in his plan. I actually want to live it. I think it's very important that we make... Just when you make everything count for eternity. Do you know, we, we serve a God. We serve a God, God who never rests, but he wants us to rest in him. And we can celebrate the fact that when we pursue his heart, that he is pursuing us right back. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to just finish off by uh, reading, from, reading from Psalm 121. And it says this, 
It says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.